JSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. Broadcasting on Treaty 7. You're listening to CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary, Alberta. Located on Treaty 7 territory and home to Métis Nation Region 3. Each year, the Calgary Pride Festival and Parade sees thousands gathering in Calgary to celebrate the community. This year, Calgary Pride 2020 has seen some changes due to health guidelines. However, that's not going to stop Calgary Pride from putting on some safe and socially distant programming. In this one-hour cast special, we'll be highlighting the queer history of Calgary through the lens of Calgary Pride and those who love it. The Calgary Pride 30th Anniversary Podcast is a collaboration between CJSW and Calgary Pride. Let's take a look at some history. Starting us off is James Demers. Executive Director of the Calgary Queer Art Society. Uh, we run a variety of programming, including the Fairytales Queer Film Festival and the Coming Out Monologues, which are happening for Pride this year because we moved them due to COVID. I also run the Big Mustache Drag King troupe in my separate life. I'm gay for pay, effectively. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I feel very lucky to get to do that work. What comes to mind for you when you think about the history of Pride within Calgary? Calgary's queer community historically developed really differently than other major urban centers across Canada and the United States. So Calgary is actually a fairly unique place when you look at sort of the development of what pride means here. The first pride parade here was in 1990 uh, and involved about 175 people, most of them wearing masks. And and that's because it was still entirely logical as a queer person that you could be fired for being gay or removed from your housing. Or And, that, and I mean, 1990 really isn't that long ago. Um, we also were the province that did queer activism under Ralph Klein, which in the terms of the same-sex marriage debate was an extremely hostile environment. So there is something, there's something really tough and uh, creative about queers that grow up on the prairies who choose to stay. And I think that that brings us some really interesting history. So, for example, in the context of queer Canadian history, both the person that was responsible for the partial decriminalization of homosexuality in 1969, Everett Clifford, his case was sort of the foundation for the change in the criminal code, and the change to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms that ensured employment protection for LGBT people, um, was a man named Delwyn Breen, and they were both Albertans. So we have Albertans to thank for some of the most significant human rights advances for queer people in the country, uh, and I think we missed that history because of the assumption of sort of the conservatism of this place. Yeah, and you just spoke a little bit to that uh, as far as my next question goes, but uh, maybe you can expand on it a little bit more as far as who were the community members or organizers that were really pivotal to the development of Calgary Pride. Okay, so let's go back up a little bit of history. The court, um, the Imperial Sovereign Court of the Chinook Arch, attempted to hold a ball, which is sort of their annual event when they give out charity money. This is in the, in the beginning of the 80s. They decided to hold a ball, and they wanted to hold it at the Delta West downtown, and they had booked the hotel suites, and then three days before the event, the hotel found out that it was a queer event, and they just canceled it outright. And the court decided to challenge them because it was illegal for them to do so, and the settlement that came out of that challenge, because the Delta had to pay them out, for, you know, they weren't going to give them back their deposit and that whole thing. Um, and so they had to pay them back, and so what they did is they turned around and they put that into an, they created an organization called CLAGPAG, which was the Calgary Gay and Lesbian Political Action Guild. It's a very long, <laughs> a very long acronym. 
Uh, and Clagpeg eventually became started something called Project Pride. And so from Celebration 80 in 1980, they started doing work. And it wasn't until 1990 that they were actually given the opportunity uh, to do to create a Pride March, which is what happened in 1990. And that was all part of Project Pride that came out of Clagpeg. Uh, people like Nancy Miller um, and Stephen Locke were incredibly instrumental in doing that work. There's a, quite a few people. And, and, and given the context, like we lost a lot of people who did that early work through the AIDS crisis. So it's sort of worth considering that a lot of them aren't with us anymore. Uh, but Project Pride then turned into the Calgary Pride Planning Committee, and there was a decision made after the, 19, the 1990 demonstration that there would be a Pride Parade, which changed it from a Pride demonstration to a parade, and it, it created 10 times the people showed up for the 1992 version that it showed up for the 1990 version, and it's been moving everywhere since then. But there are people like Linda Craig, and who did incredible work in, in there, and Pride has had lots of hands touch it over time and lots of transitions and handoffs, but it's grown spectacularly. Uh, particularly in the last 10 years here. But it's a community event, right? So it is this intergenerational, complicated, trying to make everyone feel happy on that day kind of situation. But pride is a movement, so it's genuinely bigger than all of us, which is sort of the part that's nifty about it. Yeah, and I'd love to speak a little bit um, about the Calgary Queer Arts Society um, and kind of like the origins of that. Was there like one event or significant moment that led to the start of the organization in itself? Was there anything that kind of stood out to you? Yeah, there was definitely a connection there. So originally, we were originally called the Fairy Tales Presentation Society. And before that organization started in 1999, there was a queer movie night that was part of the Calgary International Film Festival. And so, but the queer movie night was so popular that they would sell out to like unbelievably well. And so the suggestion was made by a couple of the programmers, Kevin Allen and Brenda Lieberman, for example, are two of the people that founded Fairy Tales. And Kevin Allen is currently um, an LGBT historian specific to sort of Alberta and Calgary. And, and he put a book out recently called Our Past Matters, which is the uh, sort of congl- the conglomeration of most of his findings in the last couple of years about history in this place. And so they founded it. The SIF said, hey, why don't the two of you do a little queer film festival over the weekend? Obviously, there's enough demand. Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 22 years later, here we are. So the first fairy tales was at the Gary Theater on June 3rd. Uh, with no air conditioning, and people swept through two movies, bless their hearts, and sold us out. And then we just kept putting on a film festival since then. The early 90s was the was sort of was an artistic movement called New Queer Cinema, which was this explosion of queer film festivals in response to the end of the Hayes Code, which sort of ended in the, the end of the 80s, which ran from the 1920s right up until the 1980s and really controlled the way that you could see queer people on screen. So that's why historically in media representation of queer people, you see queer people as villains or murderers murder victims the vast majority of the time. And queer film festivals were trying to answer the question, well, what if we wrote our own stories and told our own stories? Would we get to see gay stories that were happier or more complex or all those sorts of things? So New Queer Cinema started developing queer voice, and we just happened to be in the right place at the right time to work uh, in that medium, and we have ever since. So what kind of things... Uh, have changed in the queer community the most compared to the early days of Calgary Pride? Are the issues and areas of interest with regards um, to advocacy different now compared to the social and, you know, political climate in years past? I'm sure it's uh, maybe some of the issues are a little bit different now, yet the same, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, and so something that's important to understand is there's queer identity, which is personal, how you feel and how you relate that to community and vice versa. And then there's queer political identity, 
So queer political identity is this idea that the systems that currently don't work for LGBT people can be can be modified, can be queered, right? And so there's there's political ideology about the way that we would like to see the world support and celebrate us, right? And that is just like anyone else, right? You're seeing that with the Black Lives Matter movement now, where it's about highlighting stories that haven't been told in order to sort of like bring everybody up to par in that way. So there's that aspect of it. What's changed the most in the queer community is our visibility. That's what's changed the most. I have gone from a diversity educator eight years ago who had an incredibly difficult time finding corporate organizations who would even remotely consider hosting an LGBT 101 or talking about queer issues ever in a work context. And now I have corporations reaching out to me left, right, and center all the time for training, and they want to support, and they want to do all this work. So what, we, what we've done is we've activated sort of this interest in allyship, and queer people did that by coming out. What's changed from 1990 to now is most people know or interact with queer people because we made the choice to pick our safe, to pick our authenticity over our safety and make us part of the world, right? Be honest about kind of who we were and stop hiding it. Um, and so it goes from those people to your cousin or brother or colleague, or, and I think that's the greatest shift. And that has happened through media. That's happened through an enormous amount of activism. But what that's also done is it's taken queer sort of like queer political ideas and it's watered them down a little bit for its for palatability you see this in uh, in media representation like rupaul's drag race the first three seasons the last and the most recent three seasons are very different and they're obviously focused on not an entirely different audience but certainly less of a queer audience right they're moving with the times and so what that means is we've seen challenges like in the last 15 years we have not done a good job with talking about racial equality in the queer community is not done a good job talking about equality for trans and non-binary people. Like, that has all come later. Trans and non-binary identities weren't covered under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in Canada until June 19, uh, 2017, which was weirdly enough my birthday. But, um, and so when you consider that trans and non-binary people are just starting to develop visibility now, some of that is because it was fundamentally dangerous for us to do that even three years ago. But that's starting to change, right? So we're starting to see, see this idea that, like, yes, Let's teach you about queer community, and then let's have a conversation about social justice and compassion and Black Lives Matter. Like, I often see queer politics now as what I like to call the thin edge of the wedge, which is everybody knows a gay person, so let's have a conversation about human rights then, right? Because queer people have existed in every era of human history and in every culture, in every religious background, in every part of the world forever. And so if we can start having the conversation with people about compassion and empathy and allyship, like authentic allyship, then I think we should. So... That's where I think we're headed, but uh, so much has changed. It's, um, more has changed in my lifetime, in just my lifetime, and I'm not that old. <laughs> and at the same time, a lot of the changes that have happened have been a long time coming, and previous to the change have been really painful for people for a long time. So there is, it's not that that alleviates all suffering, but it means that, it means that I sleep better at night knowing that young trans people are not going to suffer the way I did, and that, that's the point. It goes both ways. Totally. That's really well said. And, you know, it's important to focus on the history and the origins of pride, but it's also like an ongoing process. Things are developing and changing all the time. Um, so what has been like the biggest takeaway? Because pride, this is probably one of the first times uh, in history that we've had to do it all virtually online. There's not that feeling of community and togetherness and, you know, protesting and advocacy in person. What do you think the biggest takeaway of this is going to be? 
the greatest fear among minority communities is often isolation. And so we've been doing an enormous amount of work. All of the organizations in the community, including Camp Firefly and Calgary Pride and my organization, have all been doing an enormous amount of work to try to maintain those connections. The other thing is that a digital pride or introducing digital components into pride programming actually opens up a whole audience of folks for whom going to a giant pride festival with 100,000 people is a little too much, mm-hmm. right? And so, for example, when we did, oh, we did our whole Queer Film Festival this year digitally uh, and kept our original date, and we had really spectacular feedback from neurodivergent communities who were saying, like, I really enjoyed this, and because I could watch in my living room, I felt like I could participate for the first time in, in this particular way. So I think it's going to look and feel different, but I think maybe there's some significant things we can learn about creating accessibility through a digital conduit. So I'm excited for what that's going to mean. And in my experience, I've been working with some of the Pride programming and, and, and performers and artists, and I really think they have six days of broadcasting that's going to be Calgary Pride this year. And there's over 200 artists from across uh, from across the world that are represented, and the uh, availability of content is pretty spectacular. So I think if people are willing to buckle in for uh, for maybe a bit more of a, a film festival, they're going to have a, a great time. And then there's lots of events that are doing socially distant limited number of tickets in person with all of the AHS recommendations, of course. And so there's options to mix your broadcast content with your in-person content and everybody kind of gets to see a piece of it. But every single time a queer artist steps on stage, they change the world for someone because representation is so important to queer people. So no matter how you're viewing it, I think it'll have an impact. And it's been really heartening to see pride organizations put their money where their mouth is and support the Black Lives Matter protests. So, for example, there's a massive there's a massive protest march that's happening in Calgary on August 29th for exactly that reason, right? Because the roots of pride are based in protest and based in sort of intersectional oppression. And so we should be reminded of that. And it's been really heartening to see prides like L.A. and Chicago do that kind of work and provide a platform for those voices, because that is that is what we should be doing this year, honestly. Um, so I guess yeah. the parting question is, what does pride mean to you? Oh, I, my first, <laughs> that was surprisingly more emotional than I thought that was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it means joy, because it is when you, oh boy, I am way more, I have more feelings about this than I thought. I don't think anyone's asked me that question this year. When you get to a place where you just get to be celebrated, so much work has gone on, gone into making that possible uh, that when it finally happens, pride is just joy for me. That, that's what it is. It's, you get everybody together, and they just aren't afraid anymore. Yeah, that's pretty much the best feeling in the world. Well, it really is. And thank you so much for sharing and just helping to educate me as well because I don't know a lot about the history. So uh, just kind of <laughs> talking about it and learning more. So thank you. No, totally. And if you're curious, uh, one of the things that I would recommend, and this might be something you can recommend to your audience because it's available to the general public, uh, is that Calgary Pride is engaging with, there's like 60 curators that, that they're working with this year to put on the Calgary Pride Learning Series. And that includes everything from Black-specific dives into like the roots of the Pride movement and all kinds of information about Black artists and, and those bits and pieces. There's Two-Spirit and Indigenous sessions that are spectacular. I'm running um, LGBT 101 and Trans and Non-Binary 101 uh, terminology and definition and history sessions. So people are curious about the historical context of the community and what all those words mean. Uh, we definitely got you covered. I believe there's 60 more sessions coming between now and the end of Pride. And there's, so there's wow. multiple sessions a day. They're all offered digitally. Um, and for the general public, all the tickets for all of the sessions are either free or at maximum they go up to about $10. Uh, you can make donations on some options. But all the facilitators are paid uh, and some of the best collection of information I've seen in a long time. So I would highly recommend the learning series. It's it's been a great offer this year, and it gets a lot of people's questions answered that way. 
Amazing. Okay, well, I'll be checking that out for sure and recommending it to others as well. Yeah, no problem. Thanks so much. That was James Demers, a trans activist and manager of the fake mustache drag king troupe in an interview with producer Jess. Coming up next on our Calgary Pride 30th anniversary show, DeVery Bess. Dev, how about you start just by introducing yourself and, and the work that you do in Calgary? Yeah, for sure. Hi, I'm uh, DeVery Bess. I'm a drag king in the city. I've been here for about seven or eight years but I've been performing drag for about 10. I moved here seven years ago, and I've been doing drag, uh, producing shows such as like Reverse Racism, which is a um, an all-POC-casted, uh, like queer POC-casted show. I have all-ages shows, and pretty much anything that I really want to do, I just kind of do it. Um, I worked with Pride as the Racialized Program Curator uh, last year, and this year, I'm just doing things on my uh, on my own and having a good time. I'm a full-time artist, and I'm a Libra. <laughs> <laughs> the most important thing to note. Exactly. <laughs> okay, my first question is, what comes to mind when you think about the history of Pride within Calgary? A lot of times when I think of, like, the history of Calgary, I think of, like, Club Carousel, and I think of, like, uh, Kevin Allen has, like, the the gay history moment. Mm -hmm. I remember like the masks was a big thing about uh, queer history. I know that like for me as as someone who moved here seven years ago, I may not have like a super in-depth experience. I've only seen what the community has evolved into. And, but I hear a lot of stories from past folks who've like moved away um, and their experiences of like being queer in Calgary. So from my experiences, I feel like it has it's come from a place of being like a really hard place, like Calgary being a really hard place to live, being queer to now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot better. I think it's like, what is it? Calgary is now the fourth largest pride in Canada. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a huge, like, that's a huge thing. That means like there's, what is it? Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, and then Calgary is next yeah. out of all the major cities in um, Canada. I think that it says a lot. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned you worked with Calgary Pride last year. Uh, What was your experience like working in in that particular position with Calgary Pride? And what do you think is the importance of Calgary Pride in our city? So when I first started going to Pride in general uh, across Canada, I found that there was something that kept happening is that uh, like racialized voices weren't being heard, not even like, and even to the point of like, not even like, lesbian or femme or trans folks were being heard in the conversation of pride. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the reason why I felt safe enough and like I felt okay working with Calgary pride is because they made space for that. They made space for voices that weren't just like this white gay men. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like my experience with working with Calgary pride is stressful as, (laughs) as most non-for-profit event running companies Mm -hmm. can be. Um, running the fourth largest pride in the, yeah. in the country. <laughs> so it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of stress, and yeah. we don't have like a huge. We didn't have a huge timeline either. Like for myself, I had maybe like three weeks to put on like a three-day event, the yeah. Memorial Park Pride, and that was that was an experience. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it worked out as best as I could, um, and a lot of people enjoyed it. But yeah, I feel like 
for myself Calgary Pride when I was working with it. It was like the first time that I felt like, you know, Calgary Pride or Pride, like a Pride organization was like listening to the greater community Mm -hmm. rather than just selective voices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is sort of brings me to my next question of like, in your experience, what kind of things have changed within um, the queer community in Calgary and within Pride over over the years? So like when I started going to Pride, it was very like, I don't want to say white-centered, but it it really was. It was like one huge party, and that's kind of, that was what it was. Like, they didn't want to do anything more with their power and their clout than to make it just a giant party. And I found that within the last few years, um, Pride has, like, helped facilitated conversations between uh, the the community of like racialized community members and mm-hmm. the police. And like that was helped facilitated by Calgary pride and voices and um, CPS to like actually build a stronger community. Also like pride is not like Calgary pride specifically is not afraid to like tell people, no, you need to do better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty revolutionary for pride organizations. Cause I just remember always, like it always just felt like a, a huge like media, I don't know, media sack, but like companies that weren't doing the work were kind of like wanting to get the publicity of pride mm-hmm. and like showing that they're inclusive, but yet still have like non-inclusive policies or all of their, their malpractices are still like very apparent. Mm-hmm. So I think like Calgary pride from the first private, like, that I've seen was like the first pride that really has used used their clout and their power and that kind of like advertising thing to tell people, no, like you need to do better. Um, even as far as like using political parties and all that stuff. I think that was the first time when was it the conservative party and pretty much pride was like, nah, you can't march with us because you've been pushing through homophobe, like anti LGBT bills. Mm-hmm. Um, and the person's like, well, my kid's gay and da 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 and a part of the, the board. And regardless of that, they still told this person no, because like you're, you shouldn't walk in pride if you're not actively making mm-hmm. um, the, our society better for uh, LGBT uh, 2S plus community. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of really cool to see that and like where it has been taken to and really making people actively work and also giving the opportunities to like learn and work too right mm-hmm. the thing like this year there's the whole like learning series that is going through that is talking about like but like, giving people the tools so that they can do better right yeah so it's not just like do better and you're there to like like squander and just kind of like flap around on the <laughs> on the shore yeah like pride is being like you can do better here's some opportunities to learn to do better. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, really good to hear. I think it goes, like what you're saying, goes along with the whole concept of like you, you know, people need to earn the title of of ally and you're not mm-hmm. just an ally by saying you're an ally, but by the actions and, and things you do and the fact that they are offering these learning series events and workshops, I think that's like a really valuable way to bridge the gap between like all kinds of people. Yeah. And I feel like that it's like using their, like using their privilege and their clout to make those changes. Right. Um, And then that is a perfect experience of like, not at the end of the day, they are um, like at the end of the day, there's always like racialized folks have to show up to, 
teach, but at least there's like bridging that gap. Mm. So it's, it's, I don't know, I feel like it's making it more accessible to folks who may not generally even think about it. Yeah. And with all the advertisement that's going on this year, like, man, I was walking down the street and I was like, Calgary Pride, what? What's <laughs> happening? I'm in like the middle of suburbia. <laughs> I know. Banner. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's like I'm hearing it all over the place and I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's really cool to see. And it's really powerful how um, Calgary Pride is really pushing to uh, make sure that everyone um, is doing like is is being a decent fucking human. Yeah. So I guess looking forward, in what ways do you hope the queer community in Calgary and Calgary Pride specifically, but the queer community more generally in Calgary, in what ways do you hope it will grow and evolve? Well, I'm really excited to not have to do this. <laughs> that's that's what I'm excited for. Yeah. So like. Uh, the future is like we're in a place of like a, like a society of equity and a society of justice, and every like we don't have to go over these conversations over and over again. It's kind of like people are like, oh yeah, like this is what's happening, and as we continue to change, the needs of our community is going to change, and that's mm-hmm. something that we constantly have to be aware of. Is that like things constantly change, and like I don't know where that change is going to be or what needs to be discussed. But I feel like it's a good, like right now we're at a good starting point to like accept that we need to consistently change Mm -hmm. so we can make um, society better as our society, like as the society of Canada or of the world grows, the needs of the people will change and, and, and grow. So we always have to be aware of that kind of like critical thinking of like how that's going to affect each other because like even looking at the pandemic right now and the needs of like right now it's become so accessible and like why weren't we doing these things before like why mm-hmm. couldn't we have the same accessibility that we have now um when it comes to like you know folks who are neuro or uh or physically divergent uh, we're creating opportunities that people can engage if they choose to now mm-hmm. um and we could have been doing this all along, but because we were so stuck in our ways, um, we had to, to um, we never thought to do it, right? Yeah. So it's kind of cool to see that kind of shift. Yeah. And the needs change based off of that. Yeah, definitely. So. It's the the accessibility factor is amazing of, of Calgary Pride events, but of like Pride events worldwide and, and back in like in June, which is more of the like international pride month like mm-hmm. the n- amount of things that were happening online that people couldn't that anyone could engage in mm-hmm. it was amazing and that just like reaches so much further to people who are not able to attend pride events whether they they don't live here or they are they are not out or for so many different reasons and i hope that beyond pandemic times these these new ideas kind of remain. Yeah, and it would be so simple to implement, right? Yeah. Not so simple, but like now that we know, like now that we've experimented and we're experimenting and going with that, we have the opportunity to, to implement it. Like we can just implement things and make things better for more people. That's mm-hmm. all we need. Like that's what we have to work towards, yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, my last question is a bit of a cheesy one, but what does pride mean to you? 
one of the seven deadly sins. <laughs> um, uh, a lot of things. I think that, like, for a long time, Pride was just, like, a time to celebrate being queer, I guess. Mm-hmm. for a very long time and i find that now that has shifted within myself as a as a time to like it's still like a time of celebration but it's also a time of like reflection of like mm-hmm. what we can do better and like how we can grow like we should always be reflecting on that but i feel like there's a sense of i don't know excitement to see like what we can mm-hmm. do and what we can accomplish when we work together and so like when pride i think of pride i think of a community a community working together. Yeah. I love that. Did you want to add anything, like any final thoughts on just like queerness in Calgary or, or like any words to, to the queers out there? For sure. Yeah. I'm running, I'm going to be running a podcast soon. It's going to be coming out on September 5th. The launch party is going to be at Dickens. I know social distancing, we're going to try our best. We must get your tickets soon. But mm-hmm. pretty much what it is, it's queer, non-binary and trans folks sharing sex stories. That's, that's pretty much the premise. I just want to talk about sex. I love that. And it's a great way to engage. And I felt like sometimes people think that having sex with trans folks is like scary and weird, which is stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I shouldn't say it like that, but uh, <laughs> I just can just showcase that like sex is sex. So like, yeah. let's, just, let's just get jiggy with it. Yeah. <laughs> and sex needs to be talked about. All kinds of sex. Yeah. <laughs> and the podcast is called Singular They, Plural You. <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah. So good, right? <laughs> That's so uh, good. The first episode is going to be talking about how that name came to be. So make sure that you're at the launch party. If not, it's going to be airing sometime after that. That was the very best. A drag king, full-time artist, and Libra talking about the history of Pride in Calgary in an interview with producer Victoria. Next on the program, Kevin Allen. My name is Kevin Allen. I'm the research lead of the Calgary Gay History Project. Uh, great. Uh, and so I guess to start right from the beginning, um, how did the first Calgary Pride happen? Well, it's a complicated story a little bit. Um, the Calgary Pride considers its origin event a rally in Central Memorial Park in 1990, which was put on by a group called CLAGPAG, which is for Calgary um, Gay sorry, Lesbian and Gay Political Action Guild. Uh, and they were a advocacy group that were agitating for um, human rights inclusion, just having sexual orientation included in the Provincial Human Rights Act. Because uh, at that point, it was still legal to discriminate based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, so people could get fired or get evicted, that sort of thing. Uh, and they had a rally at Memorial Park. They gathered people at the old Y, which is now called Community Wise, and um, they gave handed out uh, Lone Ranger masks, those black masks that you wear over your eyes, and they proceeded to the park, and they had speeches, and there was the Rock Mountain Singers, which is a local gay choir that, that did some songs, and they invited um, media there, and it was sort of a agitprop media event to talk about the discrimination that Calgarians and Albertans faced. And that was sort of the origin of Pride 30 years ago. Okay. Um, and and you mentioned some, some adversities that uh, queer folks in Calgary had to face at the time. Um, what, what are some of, those, so, some of those adversities and how did they affect the first Calgary Pride being put on? 
Yeah, so um, back in 1990, it was a pretty volatile time for the queer community. AIDS was a real public health issue, a pandemic like we're experiencing today. And, you know, lots of men, predominantly men who had sex with men were dying. And so the stakes were pretty high for the queer community. And the counterpoint to that was the sort of Calgary community at large was very panicked about this new virus that had sort of emerged and was killing people and were worried about getting it themselves. And so there was a lot of violence directed towards the gay community. Um, and so sort of the, the cultural war, the pitch was um, pretty intense in those early 90s. Um, and um, the community was really sort of found its political legs and marching orders then because of the sort of public health crisis that we were facing. How did the first gay rights week come to be? The very, actually, the very first sort of gathering of Pride happened in 1988. There was a group called Project Pride, which was um, sort of an umbrella group of queer organizations that came together to fundraise for the gay games, which were every four years hosted in a different city. And it was to sort of fundraise for a Calgary athlete to attend these games. And the first games were in 1990 in Vancouver. And so the first gay rights week happened in 88 and uh, was successful. They had different activities like a slow pitch game, movie, dance, that kind of thing. But it was only in 1990 when they invited Clagpag, which was a pretty new human rights advocacy group, a social justice group, to do that rally that is when sort of Pride became, had sort of a, a splash outside of the gay community. Um, and then it grew from there. In 1991, they had their first parade uh, down 8th Avenue and had a guest speaker, Sven Robinson, who was the first out member of Parliament. And that's when we used to see um, sort of public opposition, like people protesting the Pride March and bringing pit bulls. And four people were arrested in that early year, year for bad behavior. And um, police sort of SWAT teams around to protect people and keep the drama to minimum. So uh, unlike contemporary Pride, it was there was a certain amount of drama attached to it. For sure. Uh, what was the general response that most Calgarians had to Pride when it first began? Well, um, the mayor at the time, Al Dewar, proclaimed the gay rights week in that early Pride uh, and then sort of had to recant it because uh, there was so much public opposition about it. There were a lot of socially conservative politicians who were outspokenly opposed to having a Pride Week. There was a sort of um, constellation of um, religious leaders who were really opposed to it, who had their parishioners sort of write letters and phone calls to politicians to try and, you know, um, object to it. Those early prides were happening in June in honor of Stonewall and in Calgary, and um, it was happening on the Father's Day weekend. So people, um, some people thought it was an affront to kind of family values and fathers and things like that. So, um, but at the same time, there were allies. There were um, uh, public unions in support of those early pride marches, and the feminist community was in support of it. And, 
so political parties also um, were early adopters, but um, it is a mix. And I guess what I'm trying to say is it was a really mixed bag. There was um, opposition and there was support. For sure. Um, I'm, I'm sure having that kind of pushback from the mayor at the time, uh, I guess originally saying that he, he was declaring that week to be Gay Rights Week and then moving it uh, was probably pretty, pretty disheartening. Um, how did the community at that time push through and keep Pride going for now 30 years? Yeah, well, um, every social justice movement um, has its own story, and um, it, it's hard to sort of figure out the, um, the blow by blows and what happened. But I mean, I was a young adult; I was a university student, actually. I was a CJSW volunteer then uh, myself back in nineteen ninety, and uh, a lot of young adults were. Um, very interested in uh, activism in the early 90s. Uh, and that's where the word uh, queer sort of got its um, start as sort of like a, a reclaiming a word that was previously known as pejorative. And there was a lot of anger, I think, in the queer community. And people just didn't want to um, roll over anymore. Uh, AIDS was a big part of that because people were dying. Uh, and sort of a new generation of activists joined the people who had been fighting for years. And it was a really small minority of the queer community in that older generation that was advocating for our rights. And um, that momentum sort of carried through um, the 90s. And we've been making relatively steady progress ever since. But I can honestly tell you from my lived experience, those 90s, the mid-90s, that was sort of the most intense. But it was when we felt the most I think, to be committed as well. So it was an exciting time. For sure. Um, how would you say that Pride has fostered growth in Calgary's queer community? Well, uh, it's important for us to have a Pride organization and to reflect on our social justice journey. Um, Pride has changed over the years. It's transformed as, as sort of acceptance of sexual and gender diversity has become more mainstream. But um, our rights are fairly fragile, and there's also still a lot of social justice progress we need to achieve in our community. So I think Pride is an important place, like a sort of focal place, focal point for um, Calgary community, for our community and for allies to kind of um, reflect and also figure out what work still needs to be done. So I think it's a really important organization and movement. Definitely. Um, in your work with the Calgary Gay History Project, uh, what do you think is the most important part in preserving gay history of Calgary? Uh, why, why should we preserve and honor these stories? Well, that answer has a couple... Uh, sorry, that question has a couple answers. One is that... Um, Calgary's history narrative is fairly monotone. It's a lot about the stampede and about energy exploration. And uh, my motivation for working on Calgary's gay history was to explore those stories that were lesser known and sort of um, 
underground or in the closet and bring them out. And I also think there's a lot of information we as a society can learn from a human rights struggle of our community. And we're at a pivotal pivotal time right now. Those um, activists who really moved the ball forward in the 70s, 80s, 90s are getting older. Some people I've interviewed have passed away. And so it's really important that we um, capture their stories right now uh, in Calgary and across North America because um, the gay liberation movement um, happened in a, a very specific uh, time in history. And those people are still with us, uh, but aging quickly. So it's important we capture those stories while we can, while we still can. For sure. Um, what kinds of progress does Calgary need to make in the coming years in relation to the LGBTQ community? Well, I, I was really pleased to see uh, the conversion therapy ban that went through um, uh, this year. So that was uh, a great achievement and long overdue. I think we have to still look at issues of inclusion. I know there's some sectors in the Calgary business community that seem to be a little bit more closeted than others. I'm thinking of the energy community and the finance community. There has been great strides uh, made there as well. I think we have to. Um, uh, we have issues around our community's health care, particularly around um, trans inclusion in health services. Um, I still think there's waiting times that are too long. and we, we, We're not providing some of those primary health care services like surgeries locally. Um, there's still some poor health outcomes uh, for members of the gender and sexually diverse community compared to this, their sort of straight counterparts. So... There's lots of work still to be done. For sure. Um, is there anything you think that we should cover in our uh, podcast about the history of Calgary Pride and and uh, all that? I definitely think you should talk about CJSW's role in Calgary's queer history, uh, particularly in that uh, uh, critical period in the 90s. The first queer programming happened. I started in 1990, I think, on CJSW, and it was a really important connector for the queer community. You have to think about it. This is a time really before email or internet. So things like radio broadcasts were of critical importance and keeping the community informed. And it was like a community bulletin board service. So uh, along with the peer support organizations like um, Outlink, it was called GLCSA at the time, um, CSW um, queer programming uh, played an important role for our community. September 3rd, also, this is just a heads up, um, the University of Calgary's Institute for the Humanities has a queer lecture series. They're bringing this very famous lesbian academic virtually. Her name is Lillian Faderman. She's going to be talking about um, the lesbian uh, intersection with the feminist movement in the 80s. So she's doing like an online lecture. So it'll be really interesting. Oh, wow. So, that sounds super interesting. Yeah, and it's a university thing, so... Okay, cool. Great. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. Okay. All right. Have a good one. Bye, Tyra. Bye. That was Kevin Allen in an interview with producer Tyra. Lastly, we're going to hear from Lois and Donna from the Rainbow Elders Collective. So let's just start off with a little bit about each of you and the work that you do in the community. Do you want me to start, Lois? <clears throat> For myself, I'm not, I don't think I'm doing a heck of a lot except attending everything else that everybody else is arranging. My 
contribution to the gay world is that I've lived only a lot of the elders, and uh, I was very active back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, but have not done much in the last while. I think that's a pretty accurate statement. As for myself, I am the manager of the Rainbow Elders Calgary, and um, we're a lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, 50-plus meetup group, and uh, we were meeting a lot before pre-COVID and that, but um, since then, we really haven't done a lot of anything at all, just because the way things are, a lot of people are worried about their health and different concerns about isolating themselves and that. So it's been very difficult after this pandemic for us to meet. So what was kind of the origin story of Rainbow Elders? Was there a specific moment in time that you felt like we need to start this community group? Um, something like a pivotal moment that kind of inspired it to come into fruition? I came sort of halfway after it started and that, and there was just a group of people. It was sent out um, by, um, oh, I can't remember, what was it, the Calgary Catholic uh, Society? And um, they were just thinking that, you know, there was nowhere for an elder group of gay people to meet in that, and they sent it out to different community centers and places around the community and it started, I think it was in the fall of 2017, a meetups at the Kirby Center and sort of started from there, like, you know, just a few people at a time and, uh, you know, people just wanted to come so they could feel part of a group, like, you know, like we weren't, you know, just by ourselves, that uh, we actually could be part of a community. What kind of things come to mind for you when you think about the history of Pride within Calgary um, when it first started? What kind of things were happening in our community at the time? Back when uh, I was involved back in the 60s, there was no uh, gay community. No, uh, the gay community wasn't, wasn't a community where all individuals out wandering around looking for each other. And uh, there was one commercial club that was... Uh, taking advantage of, of the gay people, mainly, mainly gay gay guys went there. And uh, <clears throat> so they boycotted the, the place, and uh, we eventually got, got a group together and started a, our own private co-op club, uh, which grew in leaps and bounds and was very popular during the, during the 70s. But after the uh, legalization of or Trudeau's speech about the society didn't need to be in our bedrooms. Uh, the commercial club started open up up again, and uh, they had more money and glitz and glamour so uh, to offer than our little social club did. So uh, we lost a lot of our support and eventually closed in the late 70s, early 80s. Well, yeah, I guess it's early 80s. Sorry, and just to clarify, this would have been Club Carousel, right? Is that what kind of started around the 1970s? Yes, that was Club Carousel. So were there community members or organizers that were pivotal to the development of Calgary Pride? Who kind of inspired you in the community throughout your history? There were a number of people who sort of started up Pride at the very beginning in that. A number of women, uh, Linda was one of the ones. There were a few lesbians that started it up in that and there probably was some uh, men in that but for me life of me I can't think of all their names you know 
I remember going to the first sort of prides in Calgary because I I just come to Calgary in the 80s and they were just sort of starting. And, you know, for the first ones, I mean, a lot of us were just sort of hanging around and, um, you know, a few of us would walk, actually walk on the street and that. But, you know, there was a lot of, not a lot of support, I would say, for the Pride at the very beginning, right? Because there were a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of hate, a lot of mistrust of the community and that. And so it made it very difficult. So a lot of people, some people showed up in mass. So it was, it was things like that. You just didn't know if you felt comfortable walking on the street. It wasn't until many years later that, you know, that Pride started to be, you know, more open and more... Um, community-oriented, so people felt more comfortable. Lois, yeah, do you remember who the first people were that organized the first Pride Parade? Nancy Miller. So Nancy Miller, anyway, for sure. Nancy yes, was that's the, definitely the uh, behind the gay pride movement. Or the, you know, the, gay par- the first parade and stuff like that. And then I guess, like, throughout time and history as well, some of the issues and interests and advocacy kind of change over the course of time you know we're opening up many other doors for other things that are impacting the lgbtq plus community um and as you're both coming from you know a senior community group how has the response been now because you do march like in calgary pride parades and you're very active in the community how has the response been to that i i would think that we have been received very very well uh it's hard to get in touch with a lot of the community uh people to uh, let them know that we're we're out here some of the churches have uh, have been very open and have, uh, have invited us to their uh, services and to make uh, presentations and and of course some of the schools the GSAs have been open and inviting us to participate in their endeavors so uh, I think on a whole if if people know about us they're very receptive but I think there's still a lot of people that don't really know we exist, and uh, I was quite involved in uh, an organization called the uh, Lesbian Seniors. We started meeting at the Kirby Center, well, probably about 15 years ago now. That was started up by Jennifer uh, Hawthorne, I think her last name was, and she's since moved out of Calgary, but uh, we started out, she put an ad in the uh, Kirby News, and... uh, that she was that there was, would be a meeting, and I I went to one of the first meetings, and and as people different people have taken over and have left, and uh, so we're just sort of a kind of a shattered group that uh, still gets together about ten of us uh, before COVID hit. We were reading once a month at uh, Kirby Center just for for luncheons, but when we we're more active, we uh, we went. I organized hikes and picnics and a trip to uh, camping trip out to William Watson Lodge, and we're much more active. But uh, I don't think any of them have uh, transferred over to the Rainbow Elders. They've all disappeared again. I mean, I'm still in touch with individuals, but as a group, they they've disappeared. So uh, just become friends that meet once in a while for wherever we can now. Every time that I have approached the public in the past about things that we wanted to do, I've, I've never had anybody say, no, you can't do that. Or uh, So I think the public on a whole 
is getting better, but we have to keep pushing. We have to keep making ourselves known, and it would be mainly more helpful if more of the seniors would be open and, and out, but uh, a lot of them have lived in the closet all their lives, and uh, they don't want to be known, and so that makes it difficult when it comes to presenting ourselves because there's such a few that are willing to to be known publicly as part of a, a gay organization. Yeah, and I think that does make a big difference. Uh, like Lois said, is that um, there are, you know, you know, a number of us that are very out, right? But every time you attend an event or have to do a thing, and we love the GSAs, uh, talking to the kids in that was fantastic. You know, we would love to keep doing that maybe once everything settles down again, but you know, outing yourself every time that you go to an event and that, it's not an easy thing to do, especially as a senior. You know, a lot of people have lived closeted all their lives. You know, they come to a thing every now and again, but they wouldn't come and actually tell someone that they're gay and be, you know, sometimes they live in supported living facilities and that, and, you know, to out yourself in these centers, you know, it's a difficult thing. There's a lot of prejudices, you know, against people, especially, you know, if you're stuck in one place and you don't have anywhere else to go, they don't feel comfortable being out and that makes it difficult. But, you know, within the community, I think a lot of people are very supportive of us, but as of, you know, March, it's been difficult to do anything, of course, so, you know, you sort of lose a lot of momentum. I think we were getting a few more people each time and they would come to a different meetings. We had a number of elderly trans people come to meetings. So it's different things like that. And, um, you know, because of COVID, we've lost a lot of momentum on that because, you know, we didn't have a place to go. And Kirby Center has been very lovely in um, giving us the place to come to meet in that. But now that we don't have that, uh, it's going to be hard to get back that sort of safe place again for for us elders to meet. Absolutely. And just kind of branching off of some of those things that you were speaking to, what kind of things have changed in the LGBTQ plus community the most compared to the early days of Calgary Pride? Do you think some of the areas of advocacy have changed at all? Well, I think, you know, there's been a real advance as far as uh, gay marriage is concerned, which is totally unheard of. And, you know, gay people can now adopt children or or have children and ha- have a, a real, create a real family, which they all wanted all along, which was absolutely out of the, unheard of back uh, back then. So there's been some, some progress made. Of course, there's always those that are willing to shut us down and take away what, what little bit we've gained. I think one of the issues that I see as far as the, uh, well, the Rainbow Elders or any elder group is that uh, society as a whole considers, when we're young, where they only see us as being sexually active with our with our own group, but uh, as you age, people don't see you as sexual beings anymore, so it's so easy for elders to just disappear into oblivion as far as being sexual or being, you know, you don't present yourself as gay or or straight, you know, you just present yourself as who you are, 
And so it's hard as a group to encourage those that have gone back into the closet to, they're comfortable there and uh, they're accepted there. It's just one more old lady on the street. <laughs> and so a lot are afraid to come out and uh, be part of a group because it, it identifies them again as being gay and they're not active. So they figure, well, what's the point in taking the flack? Once you reach, I don't know whatever age it is, but society just considers you as non-sexual. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you're lucky if you're considered at all as any as a person. Yeah, I guess once you reach that senior age, Lois, that you are sort of um, you become more invisible, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're boy, yeah, you, you you're not heard and. Um, so, you know, being gay and being a senior, like, you know, that's like two strikes against you. Like, who who wants to hear that voice? Right. So I think, I think that makes it definitely harder, you know, being elderly and being gay. And you're right, they do feel more comfortable in the closet because then, you know, I don't have to have that stigma on top of me as well. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there's definitely things in the community that over the years that have been, you know, they have had for, you know, with the gay rights, they have gotten, you know, like Lois said, you know, legal adoptions for people, for gay couples and that, that's worked out really well, you know, but, you know, there's still things and I'm still trying to help out with even gay men to give blood, you know, I give blood regularly to the Canadian blood services and that, but gay men can't give blood. And I always think that, you know, that's just one thing that needs to be changed, too. You know, we're going to need, you know, blood all the time. And, uh, you know, there's still biases against that. Little things that you always have to sort of uh, look at in that. And there's always something that we have to advocate for. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And I think one of the most important parting questions as well is just um, if, you know, there are people out there that are looking for a community group, looking to get in touch. I know things are a little strange right now and difficult due to the pandemic um, and social distancing, but where is the best place for people to find more information about Rainbow Elders and how can they support you and get involved? Uh, They can definitely contact uh, the Rainbow Elders Calgary uh, through our website, Rainbow Elders Calgary. We also are on Facebook and Twitter, so I look after all the correspondence so they can send me a message, and I'll definitely get in contact with them. That was Lois and Donna from the Rainbow Elders Collective. They were interviewed by producer Jess. We have reached the end of this episode of Calgary Pride's 30th anniversary. The story of Pride in Calgary is an ongoing one. And just as you heard voices from Calgary's Pride past and present, we hope to hear many more in the future. Calgary Pride, here's to 30 more. You're listening to CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary, Alberta, located on Treaty 7 territory and home to Métis Nation Region 3. What do you know about the lesbian movement of the 70s and 80s? 
there's more to learn about the rise and fall of this historic movement. Join us at Alumni Month for the Rise and Fall of Lesbian Nation, an interview with Dr. Lillian Faderman on September 3rd, presented by the Calgary Institute for the Humanities as part of Calgary Pride. Everyone's invited, even know-it-alls. Learn more and register at alumni.ucalgary.ca. This is CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary, broadcasting on Treaty 7 Land.